Are you feeling like no one understands your struggles? That you're isolated and alone? Like no one has your back to support, encourage, or celebrate your wins with you? Well, let me personally invite you to join me in the Living Fearless Today Facebook group. Hey, we recently launched the group and are open to other men just like you who want to know their worth, value, and purpose to grow in confidence, find their worth, and appreciate their contributions. So if you simply search Living Fearless Today on Facebook, and uh, then just click to join us. I look forward to meeting you, seeing your growth, and the success you begin to experience in your life within this band of men. This is the Living Fearless Today podcast, a show that helps men like you and me who are struggling to get unstuck and overcome fear to live confidently and courageously. I'm your host and transformation coach, Mike Forrester, helping you create the change you want now. Join me as I interview men who've conquered their challenges and soared to success as they spill their secrets on how they live fearless today. Welcome, my friend. I am so pumped to introduce you to Michael Unbroken. So Michael is the author of Think Unbroken. He's a speaker, life coach, and a child abuse survivor. Man, his story is just so motivating. And uh, this man is absolutely authentic and transparent. It's my pleasure to bring you Michael Unbroken. Michael, how are you doing tonight? My friend, I'm amazing. I'm so excited to be here with you tonight, man. Awesome. Well, thank you for joining me. Michael, would you mind sharing like where you are today? What does life look like for you? Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm fortunate enough to say that I love my life every single day. When I wake up, I put my feet on the ground and I literally say, I am the one in control of my life. And I just try to move towards whatever it is that I need to continue to create momentum every day. And so, you know, I, as you mentioned, yes, I'm an author. I've written a few books now. I'm a public speaker, award-winning international speaker. You know, I have my own podcast. I'm a coach. I'm an entrepreneur. I'm a businessman and a vice president and, you know, all of these things. Um, and it's a tremendous amount of work and time and effort and energy and all of those things. But I chose my life. Like, so every single day, here's what, you know, I have the, the benefit of after a lot of work being only able to say yes to the things I want to say yes to and saying no to the things I want to say no to and never being in conflict. But that, that took a long time to get to this place. So it's an honor and a privilege to be able to not only be of service to people, but inadvertently, and this was never my intention, but to kind of become this spokesperson for adult survivors of childhood trauma, because it's a conversation we need to have. So I, I carry that flag. I, I willed it honorably because the, the truth is I don't want a kid to have to go through what I had to go through. Yeah. I completely understand that. And so you mentioned that you're intentional on what you're saying yes to, and what you're saying no to. What does that look like for you as far as how are you filtering through that in your in your daily life? Yeah, that's a phenomenal question. Everything in my life filters through my value system. Honesty, kindness, self-actualization, and leadership. So I am so clear about who I am every single day that 
if I'm out of alignment, I always ask myself, did the decision I make filter through the value system in a way that serves me or serves others? And if it doesn't, then I know that I'm in this place where I'm like, oh man, I'm out of alignment. So what I actually need to do is recalibrate, ask myself what's going on, why I made that decision, and then move away from it if that's what the case needs to be. Now, that applies as well as moving towards it. I think so often in society, we leverage the no a lot and we go, say no to this, say no to that. And I'm like, well, say yes to stuff too. You got to say yes to things. And so I'm always like thinking about what I need to say yes to, just like showing up on this show with you today, Mike. What do I need to say yes to that's in alignment with me, my values first? And then through that, it segments and it filters down into mission, vision, and goals, right? So as long as it filters through, it's kind of like, you know, you drop water through the charcoal and then it goes through the rocks and then it goes through the cheesecloth and then it comes out clean at the very bottom. That's how I think about the decisions that I make in my life. And that doesn't mean I don't have to do hard, tedious things that I don't want to do because I absolutely do. Everyone does. That's called life. But it means that I never do the things that I don't want to do. And I only do the things I do want to do because sometimes most of the time, the tedious things that you don't want to do, they're still in alignment with the mission. They're still part of the journey. They're still like, man, I got to get up at six o'clock in the morning and work out and journal and drink two glasses of water and take my vitamins and eat healthy and not get drunk every night and show up for myself and be a good person and you know whatever that thing is. So when you get very, very clear about what it is in regard to the life that you want to create, then it's a lot easier to say yes or no, because you're not going to find me hanging out at the strip club doing drugs all night like I used to, because that's not who I am. And that's not who I choose to be. And those are the things I choose to say no to. So I can say yes to times like this, where we get to make impact together. And so when you find something that's out of, out of sync with your values, how are you picking up on that? How does it, how does it alert you? You know, one of the most difficult things about being a trauma survivor or any having, or really honestly being a human being is in, in the time we live, especially is trusting your intuition, mm-hmm. trusting your gut, believing that you're making the right choice and the decisions that are what you need. And I have found most often that when I feel like I've made a choice that is out of alignment, it's because I did not listen to myself. I tried to convince myself otherwise, and that fails more times than it succeeds. You know, your, your gut is never wrong. Your intuition has never steered you in the wrong direction one time in your life. Never. But we try to argue it because our logical brain wants to categorize everything and try to make meaning of it top to bottom and apply definition to every single thing that happens. And your gut's just like, am I going to die or not? And so if you don't listen to your gut, then you're in this situation where you're in conflict. And so the only time I ever find myself in conflict with myself is, and and this is where there's really, really hard things that have to happen. Letting go of a team member, quitting a job, leaving a relationship, going to this other place you want to live, starting the new thing, bringing the new stuff in, trying stuff you haven't tried before. And that's where conflict comes because you're not trusting that you're going to be making the right decision. And so you go the other way that normally will feel a little bit more safe, right? Which is reasonable, right? Of course, we want to feel safe. 
But in that safeness, are you actually hindering yourself? And so when I'm like, man, I made a huge mistake. I did something out of character. I wasn't in alignment with myself today. It's because I didn't trust my gut. I didn't do the thing I knew I needed to do. Here's what's fascinating, Mike. Most time that most times that same thing is going to be what keeps you awake at night with your head on the pillow. Now, did you, I'm assuming just like you had to learn to trust yourself because it seems like when we're coming out of, of childhood abuse or, you know, like that trauma, we're doubting and doubting. Like when we make a decision, is this the right decision? And, and we'll just sit and almost go into this analysis phase that's never ending. Was that something you experienced? And if so, then how did you gain that trust in yourself? Yeah, that's a phenomenal question. Here's what I understand about it. If you go and you look at the map of your life from your earliest moment, if it is true, which I believe it is, that we in this moment are the sum total of all of our experiences, then that would mean that every experience we've ever have to this moment has informed who we are. We've made meaning of those moments. Now, factor in things like school like bad parents, like peers who don't support you. And you start to kind of build out of yourself the innate ability of trusting your gut. Why? Become Because it becomes a defensive mechanism against ramifications, i.e. don't color the house purple because you're wrong and you'll be ostracized, right? This is real. Or when you're a child and you're trying to discover who you are in the weird ways that kids try to figure out who they are, there's someone who comes in and negatively reinforces the idea that you're not allowed to be you. So now you compound that over years of not only your household, your school, your community, your peers. And then, especially if you're a man, you're in this position where don't you dare be emotional, right? So now you're compounding that and you find yourself at 26, 30, 90, even 90 years old. And you're kind of like, I don't know how to be me. The thing that you have to understand about it is it's not that you don't necessarily know, don't know how to be you. It's that your ability to trust that it's okay to be you has been stripped from you and reinforced with the idea that the moment you try to be yourself, you have to suffer. And so because of that, you turn on these defensive mechanisms, which equal, I'm going to create safety in my life by not being who I am or making the decisions that I believe I need to make because that's how I'm protected. That's what's really difficult when you really understand it at that scope and that depth, because what you discover in that is this understanding that you've been lied to your entire life. Because the truth is you are able to be yourself. It's just going to be really uncomfortable because you've never done it before. I love that. I love the way you, now you are super clear on your values now. Was that something that you had to learn and grow into as you progressed in, in your healing and your growth? Was that something that you learned and, and then they changed as you went along? Yeah, hundred percent. You're, you're dead on. So about eight years ago, I was, I was reading, I was listening to a book or listening to a podcast. I don't remember, and I cannot remember the person's name, but I remember the experience of the moment and what I, what they were talking about was values. And I was like, I don't understand value. I've never had value attributed to anything in my life. And I think about values like a GPS or a marker. And it's like, how do you create a pathway forward? If you have no baseline for understanding the direction you're heading. And so 
I got on dictionary.com and I literally just started write, like typing in words that I thought were values. And then I was like, okay, this one sounds cool. I'm going to write it down. And then I started defining them for myself. What does this word actually mean to me? Not to you, not to the dictionary, but to me. And that became this incredible precursor that led me to today. Now, my values are very different today than they were eight years ago, but I feel very steadfast in them today. They've been the same values for about five years. I don't know that they will change. Maybe they ebb and flow a little bit, but I feel like I have the pillars and the columns put together in a way that kind of support who it is that I am and the journey that I'm on. And so I think that, and this is what I teach people when I coach them too. The first exercise we go through is like creating your values. Most people can't name, I will argue with you, 99.9% of people you across in the street do not have the ability to name their values. They'll go, oh yeah, I stand for, uh, what's that one? Oh yeah, justice, right? And so if you're thinking about it and you're understanding something really important that without your system of values, you're effectively in a rudderless ship, then you create your values. That helps you create decision-making skills that are in alignment with who you are. And so, yeah, you're spot on. I didn't have, you asked me 10 years ago, what are your values? I'd be like, I don't know, Bud Light, right? And so, and so, you know, I think about that now, I think about that today and I'm, I'm very attuned to the idea that values are the precursor for creating change in your life. So the values for you aren't, so, aren't just like a filter, but it sounds like it's almost like the foundation upon which you build everything as well. Is that, am I hearing you right? Yeah, it goes both ways. Perfect. It's everything. And, okay. and this is not to say, Mike, I want to be clear. This is not to say that I don't mess up, that I don't make mistakes, that on some days I'm not a leader and some days I'm not kind to myself and some days I'm not honest and some days I'm not self-actualized because I'm a human being. We're all going to make mistakes. We're all going to be out of alignment sometimes. That's how it works. But I'm always trying to do my best as often as possible to be in alignment with the person that I want to be. Gotcha. And, I, and I try to, I try to navigate that with grace and with this idea that it's okay to mess up. And that grace you're talking about is also directed at you, right? It's for me exclusively. Okay. Right? But look, here's the thing that's interesting about it. By proxy, you offer that to other people, right? Yeah. You give it and, to yourself first and then you can give it to the world. And that's, and that is so like that for me, it's easier to give it to people than it is to myself because I've always been like my hardest own hardest critic. And so that's like part of my growth now is like giving myself the grace and the ability to just say, Hey, you're human and move from that. So I love that you're, you're, you're describing it as give yourself grace first, then it's extended as a, as a byproduct or an outreach from that. That's powerful. Michael, can we go back to like, as far as your childhood and, and where like your journey has, has begun to get you to where you're at now? Yeah, absolutely. And I'll, I'll give you the elevator pitch version, right? So at four years old, my mother, who was a drug addict and alcoholic, she actually cut off my right index finger. And my stepfather, super abusive, the kind of guy you praise, never your stepfather, never met my real dad. And I spent the majority of my childhood homeless or in poverty. And in fact, we were so poor, the water company came and turned our water off. Mm. And I grew up in America. I grew up in Indianapolis. I grew up in a city and we were so poor. They turned our water off. And by the time that I was 12 years old, I got high for the first time. 
drunk at 13, got expelled from school at 15, was selling drugs, breaking the houses, stealing cars, hurting people, and luckily got put into a last chance program. And in that, I still didn't graduate high school on time, had straight Fs, missed over 90 days of school my senior year. And they basically handed me the diploma and they're like, you have to get out of here. And I was trying to figure out like, what was the solution for poverty? What was the solution for trauma and abuse? And the only thing I could think about was money. I was like, it's gotta be money, right? Rich people always look happy. They always look like things are good for them. And so I decided to chase money, but I I made a declaration to myself. If I'm going to do this, I need to do it legally. And so I said, by the time I'm 21, I want to make $100,000 a year legally. Why? Because by the time I was 26, my three childhood best friends had been murdered. My uncle's in prison for life. I've been in handcuffs. I know a lot of people in my life who are in prison right now. And I just, I could foresee it. And so right before I turned 21, I landed a job with a Fortune 10 company and I started making six figures. Now, the problem with that was I hadn't done any of the work. I hadn't dealt with the trauma and the abuse and all the things that come with that. And I found myself in this position where I was 350 pounds, smoking two packs of cigarettes a day, drinking myself to sleep. And I went in the bathroom one day and I looked at myself in the mirror and I didn't recognize the face. And I was thinking like, it was like this crazy shock that went through me and it was rewound to being eight years old. One of the days that the water company turned our water off and I went in the backyard and I took this little blue bucket and I walked across the street to the neighbor's house and I turned on their spigot. And for the first time I stole. And in that moment, I said, Michael, when you're grown up, this won't be your life. Now on paper, it wasn't my life. I had an $80,000 car. I had a beautiful condo. I had all these women around me. I was spending $500 a night on dinner, but I was living paycheck to paycheck. I had no self-worth, no value, no validation. I felt miserable. And as I was looking in the mirror and I remembered that moment, I asked myself, Michael, what are you willing to do to have the life that you want to have? And the words, no excuses, just results, just they started reverberating in my body. And I was like, okay, got it. I'm going to do whatever it takes to create massive change in my life. I got serious about therapy. I got serious about coaching. I got serious about personal development. I got serious about learning the science and the research of the impact of trauma. I have over 35 certifications now from trauma-informed education. Why? Because I needed to do it for myself. And then fast forward a lot of that, I just started writing this blog and I was just sharing insight and information I discovered. The more I wrote, the more people would reach out and they go, that thing you posted, I relate to, or I had that experience. And then it turned into that thing you wrote, saved my life. And then it turned into, Hey, will you coach me? And so from this moment of looking in the mirror, 11, almost 12 years ago to today, having this conversation with you, it's been a tremendous amount of work. I had to learn a lot of skills and tools that I was not given as a child. And I had to learn not only how to forgive myself and other people, but I had to learn how to show up for myself. I had to learn how to be okay with doing hard, difficult, and uncomfortable things. I had to learn how to show up and be honest and be kind and be a leader. 
because I had to be a leader for me first. This is that concept about by proxy, right? And and then today it's really beautiful because I got to have these conversations. I've written multiple books. I've won awards for speaking. I've had people who are billionaires invest in this company. Like I've been able to do a lot of beautiful things, but it all started because I made a choice. I said, what are you willing to do? You said you got serious about all those different things. Had you been dabbling like in, in the counseling and the self-help? I mean, would that, was that something you were already doing or was it, Hey, I need to go do this now. Yeah. I was a hobbyist. You know, I, I, I got into therapy when I was seven years old after this really traumatic experience, which I don't think is necessary to go into. And what happened was I then had to go to therapy. It was kind of like court mandated. And so I'm in therapy and I'm talking about the things. And then the therapist went and like told on, it literally felt like they told on me like that one place you're supposed to have this bastion of, of hope and privacy. Like even as a child, I understood what it was supposed to be and that's not what it was. And so I just, I taught myself how to lie to therapists. I just started telling them what I wanted them to hear. And so then you carry that into my adulthood. I'm in my twenties paying this therapist like $200 an hour and just telling him whatever I thought he wanted to hear. I literally should have been just burning the money. Right. And then I was like, wait a second, what is the point of this? Part of it was wrong therapist. Right. And I never really <laughs> thought about that. And I've been reading biographies my entire life. One of the things that's really interesting about my childhood is I would find myself in the library a lot partly because it had air conditioning, but, but mainly because it had books. And so I would go and I would read all day long, just deep in biographies, just deep in learning. And, and then when I started getting into the self-help thing, it started because I thought it was nonsense. Like I thought like I would see these people and it's not limited to anyone particular, but to across the board, I'd be like, who do these people think they are? They've never been through anything like they're out here jumping up and down and singing songs. I will never do that. I will say this. If you see me at a conference, I'm still not jumping up and down and singing. Not my vibe. Right. But what happened was I did get serious about reading the books and going to the conferences, going to the seminars, getting myself a coach, because what I discovered was those people were just one step ahead of me. They knew what I was trying to find out. And so why not leverage that? My problem was I was always the smartest person in the room. And until I became the dumbest person in the room, I couldn't grow. And so now I embrace it. I'm like, let me be the dumbest person all the time, whenever humanly possible, because then I will learn something. And so I, part of that declaration about what am I willing to do was very much about take it seriously, because the truth about it, Mike, is I was living the life as predetermined by other people. And if you want to take your life back, you have to take it back in all capacities. Hi, Coach Mike here. Hey, thanks so much for listening to the Living Fearless Today podcast. Man, if you're struggling with your worth, feeling you're not enough and playing small, honestly, this isn't your lot in life. There is more available to you beyond this podcast to help you uncover your worth, feel respected, be confident, and play bigger in all areas of your life. Grab a time at highcoachmike.com forward slash book a call to set up a complimentary session on where you're at today, who you want to be, 
and how you can live the life you've been desiring. Again, head on over to highcoachmike.com forward slash book a call and take that first step towards your life transformation. The two things from like what you've just shared that, that I'm wondering about. So you're going to a counselor to, to lie to them. And it's, I'm wondering like, why was, why were you taking that action? But it's, it's like in you also then reading the biographies, what was it about the biographies that drew you to them specifically rather than say like a sci-fi or something where it's like you're escaping? Why a biography? Yeah, that's a, I love that question. So the thing one at a time. So the thing with, with therapy was it was just ingrained in me. I'd been doing it since I was seven. I never stopped going to therapy, right? Part of it was, it was literally like court mandated. I had to, mm-hmm. right. And especially like when my mom overdosed, I called 911, you know, I, I, I was in these AA meetings and NA meetings. I was in group therapies. I was in group homes, my little brother, like the story is just so insane, man. And so the court would literally be like, you got to go to therapy. So you don't become an ax murderer. Like that's probably the precursor, right? Like seriously. And so I just carried the trend. And then when I was an adult, I was like keeping up with the Joneses, honestly, because I lived in an affluent neighborhood. I got out of where I was from. I was driving a nice car, had a nice place, like having money and people just went to therapy. So I was like, all right, cool. I'm going to go to therapy too. And, and part of it, I think was just ingrained in me. And the other part of it was like, it gave us something to talk about while we were getting drunk and talking about going to therapy. Right. It was silly. It was very silly. The thing with biographies I'm obsessed with human beings. I truly am. And when I was young, like, and to this day, I don't read fiction. It bores me. It does not interest me. I will challenge myself. I've read two fiction books in the last 10 years, Life of Pi and The Alchemist. That's it. And I have read 800 books in the last 10 years, right? And I'm, I'm obsessed with this. Eh, let's call it 700. I don't want to exacerbate here. <laughs> the truth about it is, the human experience is much more interesting to me based in reality than it is based in fiction because reality, I can wrap my head around. I, and what I mean by that is it comes back to the mentor idea. They're one step ahead of me, right? What's the measurement? What do they know that I don't know that'll get me to where I want to go? Lasers and ray guns are all fine and good. I'd rather consume that in film because then I don't have to like process it the same way. But as I'm reading about someone's experience, I learned something incredible. Great example. Jay-Z wrote Decoded. It's an amazing book about the lyrics and the definitions and what that meant to him when he was writing this beautiful poetry. And, And so he has this line in there, and I'll paraphrase so I don't destroy it. He goes, people around you saying that you changed, but I didn't do all this work to stay the same. And it was so profound when I heard that in the moment, when I read that in the moment, it hit me because I was like, oh my God, like every time I'm changing, every time I'm trying to be better, people are trying to pull me down. People are like, you're different. You're changed. Like, yeah, I'm trying to be different. That's the whole point of this, right? But then I would read other books and I would get enamored by the idea that you could be the thing that you wanted to be. I've been an entrepreneur pretty much since I was eight years old. I was a boy scout and we'd have to go knock on people's doors and sell them crap that they didn't need. So we could fund camping trips. It was a weird part of like growing up Mormon because it was through the church while also simultaneously living in the hood. It was very, very strange. And so I learned how to sell very young and that carried a lot of weight with it. 
And then I sold drugs when I was in my teens because that was survival. And then I sold stuff for this Fortune 10 company. I made six figures. So I've always really kind of been an entrepreneur and I built these businesses along the way. I've run three now. And in that, I always leverage books for education because one of the things I knew about myself, if I went to college, I would have wasted a lot of money. And I hated school. I hate learning things I don't want to learn. I really do. And that's not necessarily a fixed mindset, but I'm like, why would I want to learn something I don't want to learn? seems like torture to me. Same reason I didn't go to school in high school. Like why? But it's funny. Go look at the classes that I wanted to go to. I had A's in every one of those classes. And that's honestly, that's the way I wish that we would perceive education in this country, but that's a different conversation for another day. And so the deeper that I got into understanding and looking at the human condition, the more I was able to make meaning of why people do the things that they do. And probably let's call it 2014, is when I got really serious about personal development. It was right in that window. So about seven years ago, almost eight years ago, because I started noticing something about all the entrepreneurs that I like, about the John Lee Dumases and the Gary Vaynerchucks and the Barbara Cochran's and you know whoever it is. What did they have in common? Oh, they all were unapologetically themselves. They were okay with being them. And I wasn't. So I said, let me find out what they have in common, that they also have in common with all these other people who have done magnificent things in their life. And that was the, that was the precursor. That was the catalyst. I was just trying to figure out what do they know? What do they know that I don't, you don't get in, in parable. Sure. You get that from fiction, but my brain doesn't operate that way. So I said, let me learn about people. And it goes all the way back to the first biography I ever read. And it was about Jeff Gordon, the NASCAR driver. I don't know. I was like nine years old reading about Jeff Gordon. I thought he was cool. I I grew up by the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. So I'd go to the racetrack all the time and, you know, watch people get drunk and do the things that you do at the track. And and I just, I remember one day we got to go back in the pits and this was like a school field trip because our elementary school is right by there. And, and I happened to be good enough that week that I got to go. I normally did not get to go on the field trips, Mike. And so we're going in there and like, we're walking around, you see all the cars in the garages, you see all of it. And I see that number 24. Right. And I'm like, oh man, that dude's cool. Like I want to ride, like I want to drive fast cars. Like that seems awesome. Right. Give me, you know, and, and so that was the first biography I read. And I, I, and I don't think it was an autobiography. It was not an autobiography. Excuse me. It was a biography. And it just made me go, man, you can do some cool stuff in your life. That's a very long answer to your question. <laughs> That's quite all right. So as you're reading this and and you're watching people, right? You talked about John Lee Dumas and, and these other people that you're looking at. How did you look at what they've done and then include you, like your unique you know, personality, your your mm-hmm. gifting? Yeah, that's that's a great question because I'm not looking for them to solve a problem I can't solve myself. Mm-hmm. Right. One of my mentors, Brandon Dawson, tells me this quite frequently. He goes, you'll never hire anyone to solve your own problem. Right. And that's really fascinating to me because it's true. And so when I'm measuring what I'm consuming from other people, it's not to solve the problem that they figured out as much as it is. Maybe that's a filter for me to figure out how to solve the problem that I already have. Right. I'm not looking for something that's not there. I'm just like, okay, I'm in this situation. What's the resource? How do I learn something? Great example. 
Seth Godin. I, I think he's incredible, amazing, amazing author, better marketer. Seth talks about our creations as art. And when I wrote my first book, I was thinking about it from the scope of like, I'm just going to write a book. But then, but then I was like, wait, 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 but Seth calls it art. Maybe this is more than a book. Solving the problem for me, filling the redundancy of having to sit down and type this book every day for weeks, not years, not months, weeks, because I said, I'm going to get it done. And so as I'm in that, and I, I remember hearing him refer to the things that we create as art, I was just like, why would I rush my art? It'll be done when it's done. And if the people like it, great. And if they don't, that's okay too, as long as I'm good with it. And then I'm going to keep doing it. I'm going to keep doing it and keep doing it. And so I look at my art now through that scope. I was, he helped me make meaning of a problem. My problem was it feels redundant to sit down and have to do this every day. And then the problem, the solution became, well, maybe I'm just looking at it the wrong way. I think it's so interesting in your journey. It's like, you'll see so many people that they have a problem investing in themselves, particularly when it's like a financial investment, you know, like I need to get help here. You didn't have that problem. The other thing that you didn't do is you didn't try and be somebody else. You were being you, you were looking for what have these people done? What's the common thread, but you weren't copying like the quilt that they made or, you know, the whatever piece of artwork you made it unique to you. And, and I think that's where like your message comes out so different is, is that it's not a carbon copy of somebody else. It's Michael unbroken. It's your journey. It's what you do. Like even the habit of you reading biographies, right? You've, you've still kind of kept to that. Like what, what gave you strength in the, in that time? What do you like, what have you continued to use as you've gone along to help you grow and expand and, and look at things differently, like you've talked about. Yeah. Well, at first, and, and I appreciate you saying that, but I have to say this, I did have a huge problem investing in myself. I grew really? up terrified of money, terrified. And, and see, money- I think that's interesting because it's like you were even doing like the, the, the counseling, which I would say, but I guess that was a habit. Is that? It was a habit. A hundred percent. Okay. The first time I hired a coach, I was like, you want to charge me how much money? And it was nominal. It was nothing. Right. My, my fear with money was I grew up without it. It was the conflict. It was the thing that killed my friends. It was the thing that had me stealing cars at night. It was the thing that had me selling drugs. It was this catalyst for pain. I mean, I, w- I didn't know how to leverage it. Right. That's the same reason, dude, I blew almost a million dollars. Like, I really want you to understand this because I didn't understand it and didn't understand money. So you give a kid from the hood who's never had money, money, he's going to blow it. And that's what I did. And, and I had nothing to show for it. Nothing. I'm really glad I have that experience because it's changed my relationship with money today. And, and, and money trauma is a trauma. We just don't talk about it enough. I don't even think I talk about it enough. And and so now I look at it and, you know, whereas before I'd be like, I'm not going to invest $6 into my personal development. Some of us are in our own way, so incredibly bad that we won't even buy a book because we're scared to spend nine bucks. And, and this year I'll spend, oh, I'm deep into the five figures. I'll be close to six on personal development this year. Why? Because when you invest, this is what I didn't understand 
that I understand now. When you invest in yourself, there's no ROI to measure. And so stop measuring it and just try to be the best version of you. Right. When you got to the point of then being able to address the financial stuff, was that something you did first or were you working on like the emotional trauma? No. Well, so one of the big things that happened for me when it came to money was I just started thinking about money differently because I was reading the books, right? Uh, I was reading the books because I did the healing first. And, you know, that wiped me out financially, like for real, for real. Like, I mean, every penny I had at one point, I don't know, I was probably 28. Like I had to borrow money for rent because I was paying for therapists and counselors and all those things, like really trying to figure it out. And I'd closed a business and I was getting ready to move. And, you know, the whole nine, you know, I moved, I moved out of Indianapolis to Portland, Oregon six years ago with like $800. Right. And And so I had to rebuild my relationship with money because I was really good at getting it, but I didn't know what to do with it. Mm. And so then it became this process of, well, money's a resource. Let me use it for things that make my life better. Therapy, food, personal training, coaches, you know, the whole nine seminars, whatever, plane trips, right? Planes aren't free. And then, and then now it's very much about you know, I have people I have, I employ, I have people I take care of. I have to take care of myself. I have, you know, across my multiple businesses, 30 different people who work for me. I got to take care of, you know, when I need to go on personal development, I got to pay for my coach. I got to pay for my therapist. And so, but also there's levels to it. You know, I think this is where people get lost a lot. I'm not, I'm spending in conjunction with what I make. I'm not putting myself into bad debt, right? Whereas in the past I was, I don't have, I don't even own a car, man. I'd much rather spend 50 grand on a coach than have, I don't have a car. I don't have a car. Like I wear the same shirt every day. I have like seven, but it's the same shirt. Right. You know? And so people like, even though I'm building wealth and I'm building the life that I want to have, I still like, I would drive an $8,000 car over $80,000 car ever again, because it car gets you to where you want to go. Now that doesn't mean one day I don't want to have like a Rolls Royce and a helicopter. Cause like, that'd be cool. But on the way there it's proportional, it's proportional. So with the money that I make and the success that I have, I'm just trying to go the next level up. So could I have a $30,000 one-on-one session with a guy like Grant Cardone? Sure. Or I could invest in something that's long-term viable that will lead me to the place where I can invest $30,000 and I don't have to worry about it. You see what I'm your, saying? Your perspective on stuff has shifted as you've gone along. I mean, you're you're still investing in yourself, but you've now gotten it to a healthy point where you're not depleting your funds. Is that is that right? You're you're kind of taking it on. You're still on the the journey, like you're going in that that direction, but it's not costing you in other areas. Yeah, correct. That's that's a very poignant way to put it. You know, part of the problem of going all in means you have to go all in. And I really, truly did. Like I spent everything and more and begged, borrowed. And I didn't still at that time because I made a decision I wouldn't, but (laughs) there was a lot of begging and borrowing. There was some bartering. There was some like, let me do this thing for you. You do that thing for me happening. But by any means necessary, I had to figure it out. And, And that's part of what happens when you flip the switch and you go all in on yourself. I think about this every day. I, I created this, this acronym called TEEM, T-E-E-M, 
This is what it requires to create massive change in your life. Time, effort, energy, or money. Generally speaking, it's going to take all four, but at minimum, it's going to take one. And so that's what I thought about as I get deeper into my life is what do I need to invest to get the life that I want to have? I'm not looking for a monetary return. I'm looking for an impact return because my goal, my goal is to end generational trauma in my lifetime. How do I do that if I don't invest time, effort, energy, and money? And so while people live in a scarcity mindset, which was so much of my experience where I'm like, oh no, not time, not effort, not energy, not money. I'll never get those things back. Now I'm like, I'll give you everything. I'll give you everything if I get to come out of this on the backside, understanding what I have the ability and the capability to create with further clarity because you're one step ahead of me. Because you know you can come out on the other side with all those things and more. You've already made it to this point, right? You've made the money. You know how to focus and have the energy and and do all that. So you know what it takes to get to this point, correct? So that's why you you can invest like that. Well, Mike, I know how to get to this point, but I don't know how to get to the next point. Right? But I mean, is that how you have that freedom to? Yeah, totally. To, to bet it all. Yeah, because it, it started with look. Because it's very simple. It started with. YouTube and the library. And then it turned into, I'm going to buy the book. And then it turned in, I'm going to buy the conference ticket. And then it turned into, you know, I'm going to hire the coach. And then it turned into, I'm going to get in the program and the mastermind. And I'm going to be in the room with the other people who do the thing. Right. And so, and then there'll be the next level up on top of that. That'll come whenever that thing comes. And so I'm, I'm adamantly patient about this. It's taken a tremendous amount of time to get here. I've been working on myself for over a decade. Thinking Broken has been a company for over five years. We just met, right? Yeah. You know what I mean? And so, uh, you know, I, I think that people get caught up in the measurement aspect of it and they're just like, you got to that place. Tell me how. But I'm like, but that's not final. Like, it's not where I want to be. Today is a great place to be today. Mm-hmm. But what I'm aiming towards is 37 years away. I'm not even remotely close, right? Right. Yeah. Understood. So you talked about as far as like the relationships that you, you know, like when you were 21, you were looking at people that were 26 and where they were at, as you said, Hey, I'm, I'm all in on this. Did you then also have to be all in on the relationships and, and make changes in who you were with you? Cause you weren't going to the same things that you had been. So did that change who you were you were with, like, as far as your friendship circle? Yeah, hundred percent, you know, and it's, I I've changed the way that I think about what happens when people transition out of friendships, partnerships, relationships, whatever ship it is, right. It's that transition period. I just simply think about it in this idea that it was supposed to be what it was while it was supposed to be that way. And I just don't fight it anymore. I used to, cause I'd be like, man, I'm trying to be better, but you don't want me to be. I'd be like, I'm trying to make this money so I don't have to be in poverty anymore. And then people would combat me. People would fight me. People would say whatever. And then when I left, I left Indiana and I watched what happened. I will say this, a handful of those people, a handful, I can name them on one hand, are people who still I have contact with. But the vast majority of people, as I've shifted in my life, the people I asked, hey, will you come out here? See where I'm at. See what my life is like. Come here and support me. I couldn't pay for them to get on the plane. You know what I mean? And so I have a choice to make about that. I can be upset about that. 
I can be mad about that. I can be irate about that. I can send them dirty texts and all the things in the world about who I think they are, or I can just go, all right, it's fine. I don't get to control people. I only control what I am able to control. And I accept ACC, EPT, what I cannot. And that especially includes people. And so in that, I'm just always trying to you know, have forward momentum and you'll have alignment with people for periods of time and you won't during others. And and I value what I am able to have and cultivate with people. And if it ends, all right, what else do you do? So you've talked about your values. Do you also have those same values kind of held up against those that you're friends with, like your inner circle? Do you apply them to apply those values to them as well? No, I don't. Because here's why there's only one me. And so I can only measure myself against myself. And when you try to, here's what I always think about when I used to try to get people to conform to the idea of what I thought they should be, it never worked. And then I was like, wait a second. What if I just let people be themselves? Maybe it'll be harmonious. And that's, that's kind of what happened. Right. And so instead of trying to make people mirror my expectation of them, I meet them halfway. Now this, this is very important though. I trust my gut. You put me in the room with a person I know I'm not supposed to be in. I'm leaving that room. Right. Yeah. Fully understand that. Well, Michael, man, thank you so much for joining me here today, sharing your journey, the, the way that you've made these transitions, what your values are and just the path that you're on when people want to reach out to you, how can they go about doing that? What's the best yeah, ways? Absolutely. And, and thank you. This has been a, a wonderful conversation. Everyone is welcome to reach out to me. I'm at Michael unbroken on all the social medias, but if you want to go deeper, you can listen to the think unbroken podcast. That's at thinkunbrokenpodcast.com, And it is on every platform. I think it's even on tape. <laughs> <laughs> Is that still around? <laughs> it is. We're still making mixtapes for y'all. We got you. <laughs> so buy them at the swap meet, right? Yep. Oh, exactly. man. Well, Michael, thank you very much, man. I've really enjoyed our conversation. I look forward to, to being able to support you and hear more about what you're doing as we go forward. Thank you again. I appreciate it, my friend. Thank you so much. Thanks so much, my friend, for joining me on another episode. If you found the information within the show helpful, please leave a review on the platform you're listening to. Helps raise the show's visibility so other men can join us in breaking free. See you on the next episode. And remember to continue putting yourself out there. Have a great one.